I'm Carl McCollman. I am Kevin Johnson. I'm Cassidy Hall, and we are Encountering Silence. Encountering Silence is made possible by listeners like you. Please visit www.patreon.com slash encountering silence. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash encountering silence to learn more about how you can be a part of the circle and share in our efforts to bring silence into our all too noisy world. Today, we started talking about silence as refuge versus silence as an escape. And as we approached, you know, this idea of toxic silence last time, where we hold our tongue and don't speak to people just out of spite. So we also kind of want to talk about how similarly, you know, silence as an escape can also be kind of a, a toxic form of silence. And so carrying into this, Kevin and Carl, I'm going to ask you both to share a story of how you have approached silence as a refuge or silence as an escape, but when the opposite was also an option, if that makes sense. So while you're kind of thinking about that, I'm going to share this quote from Thoreau's A Week on on the Concord and the Merrimack Rivers. Silence is a universal refuge the sequel to all dull discourses and all foolish acts, a balm to our every chagrin, as welcome after satiety as after disappointment. That background which the painter may not daub, be he master or bungler, and which, however awkward a figure we may have made in the foreground, remains ever our inviolable asylum, where no indignity can assail, no personality can disturb us. So with that, Carl, I'm thinking that uh, let's let's start with you. So so silence is refuge versus silence as an escape. When's perhaps either a time where you kind of recognize that you had both options before you and you chose one or the other, whether happily or unhappily? Well, what's interesting is that as I've been reflecting on your question, Naturally, I would be thinking about my most intimate relationships, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my daughter, my relationship with my parents, those kinds of situations. And, um, and I, don't have, I don't have kind of a, a, an obvious story that, that beautifully illustrates both situations, but I certainly know that, that I have, and I've seen my loved ones retreat into both of those situations. But what, what my mind keeps going back to, though, is the monastery and the idea of the... Mo- now, the thing about the monastery is you're not necessarily talking about individuals. You're talking about a social movement, you know, kind of a, a group of individuals. And whether you go back to the desert mothers and fathers or you go back to the earliest Benedictine monks or, or various other monastic movements throughout the history of the, the, the West or the East, I mean, if you want to talk about non-Christian forms of monasticism. But I think this is something that that you you can certainly see, and and I can tell you that monks, when they are looking at uh, new novices or, or or postulants, people who are thinking about becoming monks, that's one of the questions that they will ask. 
is are you coming here because you're trying to run away from something or are you coming here because you're trying to run towards something and i think that's really what what we're we're looking at here and so you know to kind of give just kind of a general example in in my life i mean i remember when um i was a boy and one time my my mother and i got into a big fight and and i don't even remember what started the fight but but I, I was a freshman in college, and so you know I was kind of you know stepping into my young adult, my my you know young manhood, if you will. And I, I'm sure I was at least partially at fault. You know, I think I talked back to her, which in the South is a no-no. And it kind of escalated, and it got to the point where, you know, I swore at her, and she just left the room. And I, and I think to her credit, because I think she was ready to hit me. <laughs> 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 so, so, so she left the room and she slammed the door and wouldn't speak. You know, I didn't see her again until the next day. And, and my father came home mm -hmm. from work and he ended up having to kind of, you know, negotiate between us. And of course, she's passed away now, so I can't even, you know, call her and ask her. But But it's an interesting question, you know, was she just trying to escape the fight or was she just trying to take a refuge so that she could calm down and, and, and be more, more present, you know, in the interest of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I think they're probably, you know, I think this is messy. I don't know that it was an either or, I think there was maybe a little bit uh, of both going on in, in her decision to remove herself from the conflict. You know, and so, so I think that, that as we, as we reflect on these stories in our lives, Maybe we shouldn't be really hard on ourselves, but acknowledge that 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 both of these dynamics can be at work in in how we how we bring silence into our relationships. You know, and so maybe the same thing could be said about about monasteries that, you know, there's this idea people who are critical of monasticism, they say, oh, monks are just escaping. You know, they're they're not engaging hmm. in in doing social justice work or, or taking care of the poor or, you know, those kinds of things. Although I do know monasteries where that kind of work does go on. So, so that maybe it's not even a fair criticism, right? But, um, you know, but then the more kind of the, the other perspective would be that, that by retreating from kind of the conflict of society at large and, and holding that place of silence, what monks are doing is not only are they taking care of their own souls, but they're holding a place, again, that place of refuge where people can make retreat. And, you know, it's kind of like almost step out of the fray, whether for a day or for a weekend or for a month or, you know, or for the rest of your life. Each one of us has a different vocation here to empower us to be more present to who who we need to be. And which for 99 percent of us does mean eventually stepping back into the fray. And so, you know, I guess when I think about the question, you know, silence is refuge or silence is escape. To me, the question is, where does the silence take us? Yeah. You know, mm. is it taking us back into whatever conflict we were trying to take refuge from? Or is it somehow trying to create a firewall or a barrier? And, and, I, and I think every, every situation has to be discerned differently. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, really, I really like what you were saying about the monastery, because that was one thing that really struck me when I was when I was traveling to these monasteries, the um, the Cistercian monasteries, is you know conceptually right this this going away from the world to love the world more, 
And I think when, when we were kind of talking earlier, just talking about love in the same realm of silence, you know, in the same realm of, you know, does perfect silence drive out fear? Does perfect silence drive out hate? Does it drive out, you know, silence as an escape? Does right. perfect, you know, we could say maybe the same thing about solitude too, but I think it's interesting to think about that as it relates to uh, monasticism and, you know, these monks that, that go away from the world to love the world as best they can, as deeply as they can, as sincerely as they can. And it really would always blow my mind how much love I felt in those spaces. Yeah. Whether it was from the prayer, but a, a sincere understanding and gathering that, wow, they're truly, deeply loving the world in a way that I, I fail to do frequently in my own life. Yeah. yeah. But it's interesting here because I think this is, it's, you know, hearing the two of you talk, it's especially riffing off what you just said, Cassidy, about perfect love and perfect silence, pushing out against uh, fear, you know, and et cetera. When I hear the word perfect, I'm thinking myself specifically, I just naturally, I don't know why, I think I think of uh, the, the New Testament and, and specifically in places, a lot of places where the word perfect is used, it, it doesn't mean perfect in the sense of doing it completely correctly. Uh, uh, oftentimes that word is is telos, which is really what Carl was saying about what's the goal, what is what is the ultimate thing. So it's not about doing this right. And so I I, I completely agree with both of you that there's this blurring yeah. here, that there's right. you're, gonna, you're gonna be bouncing in and out of 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 these spaces, and you know you're asking me about like. Uh, things for me. Carl said he couldn't think of intimate relationships, and I couldn't either. Um, I think it's kind of funny. I'm wondering mm. here if it's because intimate relationships are so intimate that, like, you're in and out of this space so often that it's hard for your mind to wrap around one. Um, I'm thinking of, he thought of the monastery, I'm thinking of strangers, you know, as a teacher. Oftentimes my students, I, I'll notice this happening in the classroom setting where there will be times where uh, I use silence, you know, I'm upset with students, you know, they're not paying attention, I'm trying to talk, they're, they're not listening, they're like daydreaming, you know, and you feel like annoyed. Uh, anybody who's ever given a public lecture and you see the audience not listening and you kind of want to throw something at them, mm. like, you know, like, I'm doing something up here, you know, like, pay attention. <laughs> uh, and especially as a teacher where you feel like, hey, you're here, you paid this money to come into this classroom and you want to have this discussion around this book and you're not discussing, you know, and you're not even listening to what I'm saying. And you're not, so it starts to be you can be annoyed. And what I'm thinking here is the times where I've allowed I'm allowing space in the classroom where I'm okay with the silence, where I don't have to talk and I don't have to force a point of view and I can actually just let silence circulate uh, and the question can come forward. And oftentimes, too, in response to, I think of spontaneously being a silence as refuge in the classroom, and this makes me think of Henry Nouwen's book, Reaching Out, um, where his chapters on hospitality and specifically in that section of the book, the second section of the book, where he talks about hospitality as, as a space. Can we be hosts? Can we be a solitude? Can we be refuge for people? And you're th what you connected with the monks, like they are this refuge. They offer a space for the world, you know, that they say, hey, we open and hold this space open. And that makes and somebody holding that space open allows it to be. 
you know, that, that, that you actually can draw on that energy. And it, it, I, that also, I just saw in Pursuit of Silence again the other day, I made my class watch it. Yay. Uh, and, and, and so uh, there's the line in there where uh, Maggie Ross makes the comment about how we need silent places in the world. And she says, just knowing the silent places are there, even if you never go to Alaska, but just knowing it's there and that it's untouched and that it's not, there's no noise pollution, then somebody can draw on that energy. And I really, I know that can sound really weird. And we live in a culture of really, you know, science and can we prove this stuff and all that. This gets into a space that's really messy. I'm not sure you can prove, you know, that you're drawing on the energy of silence, but I, 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 I wholeheartedly believe that. Like, I, cause I've felt it. I've, I've felt that I know um, that you, when you've been with a person who's centered and who comes from that space of silence, it allows you to be more still and silent in and of yourself, even though you don't have that skill. And so in the classroom, Malwin kind of points this out in his book, can I be a, a, a host for my students? A hospitable teacher would be, I'm going to hold this space so that not so that I'm brainwashing you to think my way, but I'm actually opening right, a right. space that you can actually educate and learn about yourself. You come mm. to your own knowledge. And uh, what I love about that in Nowen's book is where he talks about, you know, teachers, but he says parents can do this too. You know, can you be mm -hmm. hosts for your mm. kids? Can you, you sure. know, don't force your kids to be something, but can you open and hold that space? So I, I've, I think of the times, and you know, uh, specifically where spontaneously in the moment, a student will ask a question and then I'm able to just rest in silence. And then out of nowhere, unplanned, like I say the thing that as I say it, I can see their eyes open and they are like, that is the exact thing I needed to hear. And then they start talking and all of a sudden you see brilliance in front of you. It's like, it's, it's unbelievable as a teacher that gives me such joy. Cause it's like walking into a museum, into a room and seeing like, Oh my God, there's a Picasso. You're like, it takes your breath away. Like here's this work of art, right? Right in front of you, this person opens up. And mm. how did I know to say that phrase, like that way? Why did I say it that way and phrase it that way? And like, you know, it was out of that silent space where it wasn't about my agenda teaching them. It was this kind of cooperative moment, you know, um, and we, yeah. and, and you know, and again, I, we still are covering the material. Like I'm not dropping the right, material. Right. It's just a way of talking about it in a different way. So it's kind of interesting that I've had those moments. And you and I've, I, it's funny, I think about strangers, whether it's teacher or even being mm -hmm. at the DMV. We've all had that moment where you can walk up and the cashier looks like they're having one of those days and you somehow know how to say the thing that allows them to smile and be, and you feel like you made a connection there when this person, like uh, somehow you broke through. How, how did you do that? Other days you, you don't. So these are the little moments I see of refuge popping up that doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily mean we have to run away from the world and hide and s s never talk again. But you're actually allowing silence to come forth here. I mean, that Those are the kinds of things I'm thinking about. Yeah, yeah. And I love that conceptually our rootedness within our own personal encounters with silence kind of allows for that. Like you mentioned, uh, Nowen's book, reaching, reaching out. Right. Yes. And you know how he talks a lot about loneliness and sometimes it's also interesting to, to think about that in terms of, you know, the difference between 
loneliness and aloneness. Yes. And once when I was talking to uh, a nun that I'd met at a Cistercian monastery, she was talking to me about aloneness and how her aloneness deepened this relationship. And she told me after 20 years, the aloneness had deepened into something really beautiful. And I know it's something that never goes away. And I think most people carry that for different reasons. I think the loneliness over time strengthens you with whatever life's life brings about. I'm never afraid to say things such as we'll carry loneliness. It's not a sad loneliness. Now it's a loneliness that says there's space there for the whole world. There's space there for the whole world. Yeah. And that all, I mean, I remember when she said that to me so vividly because monastic life is just, it's an interesting way to live. It's a different way to live. And I think recognizing the ache that we meet, the ache of the whole world, sometimes it feels like that we meet in our silences, right? And it kind of reminds us this idea that there's space there for the whole world. And I love, you know, Kevin, that you, you pointed to, you pointed to this way where we can come from our silences to essentially meet and greet the silence within another person. And that could be verbal. That could be a verbal interaction. Yeah, absolutely. But it also might not be. And so, Carl, do you have any experiences where it's not a verbal interaction, where you meet someone from the silence, whether you're providing refuge or they're providing refuge for you, but it's a safe, it's a safe refuge. It's a place where there's trust and and love. Again, the monastery comes up, but also there my, my marriage comes up. And and Fran and I've been married almost 25 years now. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the fruits of having a marriage that lasts a while is that you become comfortable with, with one another's rhythms. And over the years, we've both struggled. We've obviously struggled with the challenges of raising a handicapped child. We struggled with the challenge of her illness and death. We struggled with our own, you know, marriage has had its ups and downs and times of, of difficulty. But then, and then we've both struggled with with our careers or our families, you know, our larger, you know, our extended families. I mean, all, all sorts of things, politics. And I think one of the things that, that we've come to recognize is that, you know, there's so much in life that that you don't fix that, mm. that we have to find our way. I mean, if we've got if, we're, if there's if there's a big conflict at work, you know, finding our way through that conflict or, you know, or politics, mm. if, the, if the, the kind of the. The climate, the political climate of the country is going in a direction that you you feel at odds with. You know, it's like, you know, you can't just, you know, wave a magic wand and make it all better. Right. Um, you know, you can't. Certain, <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I keep, you know, I keep scouring eBay looking for that magic wand. <laughs> but, um, you know, and then, of course, having having a loved one die. I mean, talk about the ultimate sense of loss of control. Right. I think we ha- we have cues. And again, I'm talking about my wife and I, you know, I'm not ready to talk about that or, or even I don't want to talk about that right now. Something like that little cues where we where we acknowledge that the relationship matters, but this is not a time to wade into whatever the issue is with just more words. And I think, again, back to the telos that Kevin was referring to or that maybe I touched on earlier, you know, there's always this idea that when we're taking refuge from something, that thing that we're taking refuge from doesn't just go away. Right. You know, and so it's like learning to be patient with the messiness of life or the brokenness of life or the wounding of life. 
that's why I, I guess when I hear our, our, our theme today, silence is refuge, silence is escape, I, I think of refuge more in that kind of teleological sense, that stepping away mm-hmm. to, to find rejuvenation or restoration and then to step back in. Whereas the silence is escape seems to me more kind of this, you know, okay, I'm, I'm shutting down the conversation. I'm not going to have that conversation anymore. I just don't want to deal with it. And even that kind of language, I don't want to deal with this anymore. That's, that's language that can be very hurtful in, in some context, you know, because it can point to the end, the end of a relationship. Our conversation will return after this brief moment of silence. Please take a breath with us and join us for this 30 seconds of silence. So, so it's interesting, Casty, just to kind of wrap it up. I think your question to me, you know, what what does it mean to to have those kinds of hospitable relationships moving beyond language? I think paradoxically, language has to be part of it. It's almost like we have to mm. find a way to frame it. Yep. I mean, like like with Fran and I, you know, in, in our marriage, you know, dealing with mm-hmm. our, our daughter and it's like, OK, we, we, we just I, I need a break. You know, the, the, we've had a fight. We need to we need we need a break. So we have cues where we were able to establish that. Mm-hmm. But there was also kind of this agreement that we're sticking it. We're seeing it through. We're, we're you know, and so if, I, if I'm taking a break, it's only a break. Right. It's, right. not, it's not it's abandonment. Not a, it's not a breakdown. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, you know, so, so it's almost like, you know, and this is back to, I think it's become a real theme of, of this entire podcast that, you know, a healthy relationship with silence goes hand in hand with a healthy relationship with communicate other forms of communication, you know, language and, and, and the ability to connect and those kinds of things. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I think that's certainly been true in, you know, in how I've seen silence at play in my relationships as well. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and, and you know, following on, on what you said, if you're trying to find the space of silence in relationships where you both can be as refuge and you can, and you can say, all right, we're not going to use words here. The words as context, framing it is the essential thing, as Carl is saying. And the issue really is um, not only does silence help um, us with our words and our communication, you know, silence is actually the way that gets us to act to reality, is what I heard you saying, Carl, because, you know, if, if it's silence is refuge, it allows us to, we're going to engage the world as it is. Now, you might be taking a, bra- a break, like you said, I'm taking a break, but I'm not breaking away. I'm not, I realize this is coming, uh, whatever issue, uh, the relationship continues. So the break in talking uh, or et cetera, is, is a moment that allows for like a re-engagement. It's kind of like shifting the weight in your backpack before you st- continue the hike. I mean, you're not going to stop hiking. So it's not just a fixing the relationship. It's actually a re-engagement reality. When we say silence is escape, what you're doing is you're creating a false world. 
uh, you're basically saying, oh, I don't have to, like you said, I don't have to, I don't want to deal with this. I don't have to deal with this. And so then you can just, I, I cut relationship off. It's no, like it, that's, that's not true because guess what? I, I want to say to myself often, like, I can't handle this. And I often say the, the little voice in my head says, well, that's really nice that you can't handle this, Kevin. But like, guess what? You have to handle, like, this isn't going away. <laughs> like, yeah, right, right. you know, I mean, so it's really nice that you say you can't handle this. Sorry. Like, <laughs> you know, that's like saying, I don't like gravity, you know, like, well, that's, I'm sorry yeah, to break yeah. it to you. Gravity happens, you know, like uh, this is your relation, your body's relationship with the world. So like re-engage gravity, you know, <laughs> you know, listening to you, what, what I think about is that silence as escape almost implies some sort of privilege or some sort of unequal power. I don't have to deal with this. You know, I'm going to shut this down unilaterally. And, um, you know, and so there's kind of an injustice that seems to be embedded in that position. I love, you know, so some of the stories you guys were sharing were just really powerful and resonated with me. But I also recently had an experience where someone provided that refuge for me and I didn't provide it for them. Wow. Yeah. And and, and it was a very basic, simple <laughs> You know, something you wouldn't even think of, but basically, you know, I, I was looked at and I, it was clear that I needed some alone time. And so this person suggested, you know, why don't you go for a walk or jog? Why don't you go ahead and go do that? Nice. And it was really beautiful because it wasn't like, oh, do you think I need a jog? Oh, do you think I need some exercise? <laughs> no, it was just, you know, this sense of like, this person knows me very well. They know I need to, I'm my mental health is better when I'm moving my body, you know, just basic things about just meeting and seeing, um, meeting me in a place where, you know, refuge was provided for me, but also that I, so I could get in touch and then also be able to come back hopefully as a refuge in response. Right. But I, I also really like what you were saying about the truth. And as you know, in, in pursuit of silence, Helen Lee's says, if you allow silence to circulate, particularly among people, what you're going to discover is that your mind becomes aware of what the truth is. And then she goes on to say, and sometimes the truth is not that sugar-coated. Yeah. And so both Carl and Kevin, I love what you were saying just about, yeah, the stuff doesn't go away. Right. No, it doesn't. <laughs> but but it, and by providing refuge, by, by providing that and being that and going into that, we're not abandoning the stuff, right? We're not abandoning the situation. I think we're empowering ourselves to better handle it, to better manage it, to better deal with it. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's the it's the famous quote uh, that I think is often given to Carl Jung, the only way out is through. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no, aban- like, there, don't think, you know, and, and anyone who does therapy or, or does spiritual direction or anything like to pretend that like you're going like you know, the magic wand that makes the politics go away. I mean, could we have the magic wand that makes my lust go away, my anger go away, my jealousy go away, my depression go away? Yes. <laughs> no, there is no right. magic wand for that. So like what right. you do, you know, so you have to have a relationship with yourself and, you know, realize what that looks like. You know, you have to deal with that in various ways. And so uh, you have to go through it. That's part the you know part of who you are, Kevin. You know you have this this these things inside, and this is part of you. And you have to figure out what that 
what that means. You carry this on the journey too. And so, Mm -hmm. so the only way out is through these things, you know, through Mm -hmm. the relationships with other people, with your difficulties and everything else. It'd be great if we could wave magic wands, but that's, that's not real life. You know, that's not. Listening to you. And of course you're using the example of what in the desert they called the afflictive thoughts, the the lust or the anger, the avarice or whatever. Right. And yet, the, that silence is always the antidote. And the reason why silence is the antidote is that it helps, silence helps us to see that we are not our thoughts. Exactly. And that, you know, and that it, 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 it kind of relativizes the relationship between us and our thoughts, especially those afflictive thoughts, those thoughts of anger or lust or acquisition or whatever. Right. And, um, you know, and I, what I've also been thinking about as listening to the two of you speak is the idea that silence can also be a refuge from the voice of those who who have power, especially if they have power unfairly or unjustly. Mm-hmm. And that I I will step away from, you know, and I'm thinking just to use kind of an obvious example, you know, Adolf Hitler, you know, Adolf Hitler was, you know, the the master of using the radio, you know, and and then broadcasting his his speeches, his hate filled speeches. And so, you know, to be to to be turning off the radio during Nazi Germany would have been, you know, practically a seditious act. But right. it's also it's also a liberating act that that using mm. silence as a way mm. of saying, no, I do not have to listen to these afflictive thoughts coming from someone else. Right. The same thing, your example, Kevin, I don't have to place my attention on those afflictive thoughts that arise within me. Right. And the reality is, is they arise within all of us. Now, different mm-hmm. people may, may struggle with different ones. Yep. But, mm-hmm. but, you know, but they, we all, we all just human condition. We all struggle with them in one way, shape or form. And the silence then becomes an opportunity for us to recognize that there's more to life than that particular way of thinking. Right, right. Yeah. I think for me, what's important, I guess, is to capture that the silence circulates even among the words. And that, like, mm-hmm. that, like again, mm-hmm. this captures back to what we were saying before. Silence is not silence. Don't, like, you don't have to be so literal about that, that the word silence here is actually pointing to something right. else, a, you know, a shift of attention and, and something else we're talking about here. We're not talking about you know, no sound. Right? We're talking about kind mm-hmm. of a, a refocusing or a telos, you know, or, uh, you know, and that's, that's yeah. really what gets back to Cassidy's point of a perfect silence. Well, you know, casts out fear, for instance, you know, that's uh, lovely because it actually gets at the whole foundation of what we mean by love. And especially in the Christian tradition, when they say perfect love casts out fear, the perfect silence casts out fear, too, in the sense that love is born out of that silence, out of that telos, you know, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's, it's foundationally relational, right? Silence is patient. Silence is, silence is kind. Yeah, it works. It does not envy. It does not boast, right? Yeah. I and mean, we can sometimes replace silence in some of those powerful scriptures on right. love. I mean, right. and consider, when you consider it that way, the way, and, you know, the way you guys were talking about it earlier, kind of how it strains like a strainer, right? Like cleaning fruit in a strainer. Yep. It gets all the dirt off, you know, and falls through the holes so that we have the fruit. We have what's necessary. That's a beautiful, and again, image. That That's is, a beautiful image. I like that a lot. Yeah. Having the that fruit. doesn't mean that 
all the hard stuff goes away, but it gives us clarity, right? It gives us a sense of understanding. Yeah. Well, and if I can speak in a religious sense, that the you know the Christian contemplative tradition has understood that it's with silence where we we touch the face of God, right? Mm-hmm. And that that includes the silence within us, mm-hmm. and you know, and kind of this this you know idea you find in Genesis that we are created in the image and likeness of God. We find that image and likeness in our silence, right? And the the reality is, and this is why it's important to have some sort of a practice of silence, whether it's centering prayer or some other form of contemplative prayer, walking a labyrinth, whatever it might be, but to have some sort of disciplined engagement with silence as the absence of noise, because that creates the arena in which we more readily access the silence within us, right. which is something that is more than just the absence of noise. Right. It's, you know, I, I love to say silence is not an absence. Silence is a presence. Right. And, you know, of course, I'm speaking in a theological sense. You know, others may, may want to use different language. But, but this idea that, that when we recognize that silence is a presence within us, then we begin to recognize that that silence is there even in the midst of the noise. Yeah. The challenge of the noise is that it makes it easier for us not to notice the silence or not to pay attention to the silence. And so mm. again, we that we need that discipline of the absence of noise in our lives. So it's yeah. but but hopefully cultivating cultivating that ongoing awareness that you could be at the loudest rock concert in the world and you're <laughs> still carrying silence in your heart. And so is everyone else. Right. Right. And yet the con of our age is that we have conned ourselves into not noticing it. Right. That it's the, and yeah. we use the external noise to distract ourselves from it. Yep. So. Yeah, exactly. That's why I often say that like silence is the blind spot of our own mind that we don't notice it that's going on. And it's funny that you were talking about, you know, before we mentioned the, the desert masters and you were saying a practice, but this, it, it really does connect uh, the idea of a practice. I'm thinking of Vivagrius specifically who said, you spend time in silence, and what's the fruit of silence? If you spend time in silence, as Carl is describing a practice, well, the fruit of that is is apatheia. You know, so this kind of this kind of letting go and and stepping back from your thoughts, and the, so it's not apathy. Mm. It's not like I don't care, mm-hmm. but it's this unattachment to the thought, unattachment to action, where you're able to sit. And then, what's the fruit of apatheia? Is agape. So love. that uh, so it's mm-hmm. love is actually come, but that's when for the first mm-hmm. time there's this deep, profound self-giving warmth and compassion and mercy and love for the world that we all can carry. But like that won't be born unless you you can have a practice because what it, what might happen is what we think is love is actually kind of a a controlling or a manipulative situation that might come forward if it hasn't been strained. Like Cassidy said before, if it hasn't been strained, so the love is there, but we love poorly, and then <laughs> and and then what ends up happening is the silence allows actually our our poor attempts at love to actually be magnified, and we can actually then see it, you know, and then the fruit is there in the basket, you know, they're mm-hmm. cleaned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we know what direction to pour the water. Yeah, the <laughs> yeah. Right, right. So okay. I'm going to close us up for today. 
my mind is just going in a thousand different directions in a positive way. Yeah. So much to think about after talking with you guys today about silence as refuge and silence as an escape. But in closing, I'm, I would love to just go around and ask you guys to just finish this sentence. Silence as a refuge is blank. And of course, you know, and just for you, you're answering for you, not for the world. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's a little less pressure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have one. Silence as a refuge is the poetry of love. Oh, come on. You right. can't lead with that one. No, you just knocked it out of the park. Yeah, you go last. I'm sorry. I'm, go I'm cutting that and you're going last. That's not. All right. Silence as a refuge is necessary. I'm just going to leave it there. It's necessary. Wow. Very good. Okay. I can't decide between two. Going, going the Benedictine route, oh, I okay. want to say silence as a refuge is listening. Mm, that's nice. Um, because the rule of St. Benedict opens with listen, right? Yes, of course. And then going the route of this entire conversation, I want to say silence as a refuge is cleansing or provides clarity. Something about how something about the water falling off, right? To this clean palette of of um, clarity. Is that a little long? That's a little long. <laughs> well, and, and listening to the two of you, silence as a refuge is necessary. Silence mm. as a refuge is listening. Silence as a refuge is cleansing. And then I think the fourth line of this is silence as a refuge is the poetry of love. See, we told you, wrote, we wrote a beautiful poem together. I wrote the simple yeah. sentence. <laughs> Carl, Carl always ties us up in a perfect bow. Yay. I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening today. And thank you, Carl and Kevin. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Yes, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening to the Encountering Silence podcast. If you enjoy our ongoing conversations about the beauty of silence and its meaning in our lives, Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or at our website, EncounteringSilence.com. You can subscribe to our email list at our website, connect with us on social media, on Twitter at Silence Podcast, or on Facebook at Encountering Silence. And please visit Patreon.com slash Encountering Silence. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Encountering Silence to become a patron of this podcast. Your financial support will allow us to continue creating new episodes and spreading the message of how vital silence is to our social, spiritual, and physical well-being. <laughs>